0: chapter 18, 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to be looking at a kind of a longer passage. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, verses 25 through 46, 1 Kings 18, we'll look at verse 25 through 46, we're looking at Elijah, and we're continuing our series on Elijah, and uh, he was an ordinary man who served an extraordinary God. And he was an ordinary man that God used in an extraordinary way. And we're going to look a little bit about how it is that God used him in such a tremendous way. In 1 Kings 18, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Remember Elijah's name. His name means this. His name means that um, God. He, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Remember? Uh, because that will tie in here in a moment when you hear what the people say after God does a miraculous thing. So notice verse 25. It says this, Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bowl and prepare it first. For you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bowl that was given to them and they prepared it and called on the name of, of, of Baal from morning until Saying, "Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around on the altar they, uh, that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. I like Elijah's sense of humor. Amen. And he's being sarcastic and he's mocking them. And they cried aloud. And notice, they even cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. So all the way till evening, they're praying from morning all the way until evening. And no one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And notice this interesting statement. He repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down, that was torn down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones... He built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two says of seed. And he put the wood in order and he cut the bowl in pieces and he laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars or four jugs with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. Now, if you do your math there, that's four times three is what? Twelve. How many stones did he put up? Twelve stones. How many jugs or jars of water did they dump onto it? Twelve. The water ran about the altar and it filled the trench also with water. At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and he said, listen to his he says, O Lord God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. I love this. God answers prayer, doesn't He? Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and he slaughtered them there. Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink. Now remember, they're in a famine for three and a half years. It has not rained and there was no dew for three and a half years. Now notice what he says. He says, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. And so Ahab went to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the town of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and he put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now. Look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and he said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time, now we understand Elijah's praying. The Bible says he's he's kneeling there and he's curled up in a ball and he's praying. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a, a man's hand is rising up from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down. Let the rain stop you. In a little while, the heavens grew black, and the wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord, I love this, was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment, and the Bible says that he ran before, he outran Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel, which is anywhere from 20 to 30 miles outruns the chariot. Some people say upwards of 30 to 35 miles an hour. Can you imagine what Ahab felt like when he was eating Elijah's dust as he's running ahead of him? Elijah just showing off a little in the spirit of the Lord. Amen. What an amazing passage of scripture. What a powerful passage of scripture, but I think there's a lot of very relevant uh, truths for us today. But let's pray and ask the Lord to bless his word. Lord, This is not just a story, this is a true story. Lord, we thank you that you are such an awesome God. What a great and powerful God that we serve. Lord, we know that you are the sovereign, Lord, that you are the one who is in control of all things. And Lord, what a powerful display, Lord, that you put forth. Lord, on this day that Elijah called out to you and you answered him. Lord, I don't know the needs that may even be here today, but Lord, may we realize that we have an extraordinary God who can meet the needs of His people. Lord, I pray that You would bless Your Word. I pray that it would encourage us. And if need be, I pray that it would convict us and challenge us. Lord, so that we too could draw deeper into a greater trust and faith in You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as we were reminded, King Ahab was a very wicked king. The Bible says he married a woman by the name of Jezebel. And she was a pagan. And she believed in false gods. The god of Baal and Asherah. And, uh, and there's a picture of what many people to, to believe to believed what Baal would have looked like. And there's probably a few other slides or pictures up there. But remember, they would offer their children. It even says there that they would offer their children to, to these gods. They, would, they believed in human sacrifice. And even as we read in this passage, when Elijah confronts the, prophet of, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, remember what they began to do. They began to shed their own blood on the altar there that was there for Baal. They sacrificed their children to try to please this God called Baal. Understand this, that this God called Baal that they worshipped and served, His name meant literally owner or they were saying, you are our Lord, you are our owner. And come to the reality of this, it's hard for us to comprehend, but these were the people of God. The same people that Elijah prays. he reminds them that the God of Abraham and Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God that delivered them from bondage, the God who delivered them and brought them into the promised land, the God who had given them the land that they had. The God who had been faithful to them. The God who had provided a sacrifice for them in the days of Abraham. And prophesied that there would be the coming of the Messiah. The one who would give himself as a ransom. They called this Baal their God. The people of God began to worship Baal. And in the worship of Baal, he was their Lord. He was their owner. It's interesting because this God was the God of fertility. He was called the God of the thunder and rain and dew. But what did Elijah pray for God to do? He prayed to the one true living God and he said, I, God, stop the rain. And remember, he went to Ahab and to the people and he said, listen, I have prayed and God is going to stop the rain. He's going to stop the dew and there will be no more rain until I pray for rain again. Do you understand why God commanded Elijah to to pray this prayer? Do you understand why God was doing this? This was to wake up the people of God. Because the God that they were serving was called the fertility God, the God of thunder, the God of rain. And what has it not done for over three and a half years? Not rain. You see, God has a sense of humor. So did Elijah. Because when he says, I have, I have this idea, let's let's do this. Let's see who the one true living God is. Who is the one true living God? Is it Baal? And he says, if it's Baal, worship him. He says, But if it's God, then worship God. And so he puts it, presents a test on Mount Carmel. He says, Let's have a test. You you take your altar and put a put a put an oxen on it and, and, and you do what you do and you pray and you have your God send fire down from heaven. And then I'll I'll take my turn when you're finished, since there's so many of you, and we have to let all of you pray. And we know as we read what took place. That they pray and they pray and they pray, and they call out to Baal, and that doesn't work. So then Elijah kind of you know kind of stirs them up a little. He even I mean, think about the wording here. He says, you know, if you read, he says, Maybe he has fallen asleep and you have to yell a little bit louder. Maybe he's relieving himself, you know. Maybe he's sitting on the toilet, you know. He's sitting on his throne, you know. Ah, oh, got that one? Baal's sitting on his throne, you know. Maybe that's what he's doing. And so Elijah begins to antagonize them because their God is not answering. So much so that they begin to cut themselves and they begin to bleed all over the altar. And finally, when the evening time comes and they're exhausted and nothing has happened, it was then Elijah's turn. And we know what took place and we'll talk about that in a moment. But here's just three thoughts I want to draw from this passage today. Number one, I want you to see the sincerity of these prophets. They believed and they had faith in their false God that he would answer their prayers. They went out and they believed and they cried and they cut themselves. And Let me say it like this. They were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. In fact, it is sad because they were serving a powerless God. And their God could do nothing for them. In fact, many of them would offer up themselves and even their own children as sacrifice to a God who could do nothing for them. I'm not going to spend long here, but just a moment or two, but can I say this? I believe the spirit of Baal is still alive and prevalent in our country and in our culture in our society today. That there are many who are serving a God cannot fulfill what they need does that make sense you know you bail can be in many different forms there was called astra poles and they would bow down and worship the astra poles you had the, the the Baal where they would come and have altars and they would offer their children and they would sacrifice and may i say to you the spirit of Baal is still alive and prevalent. And that same spirit, I, I believe, is, is the idea of this is it's idolatry. And idolatry comes in many different shapes and sizes and forms. But it is this, is that, that people who are, if you will, putting all of their faith and trust, maybe money, can I tell you, people put their faith and trust in money, and may I say something to you, you cannot buy eternal life. Only Jesus could pay for that. Amen? It may be money, it may be fortune, it may be fame. But there are many, many gods that our culture has bowed down to. That our culture is is literally selling their souls to. Yet it will not please. It will not fill the void. You see, even the people of God got sucked into this idolatry. The people of God who once were worshiping God, got so caught up with what was culturally now relevant, what was going on in their culture and in their society. And now that this new king came along and he introduced these false gods, what did the people do? They followed right along with it. And so now they are bowing down to this false god. I want you to notice the sad condition of God's people As we quickly read that, you may have missed this, but the Bible says that Elijah had to do something before he could offer up the sacrifice. What did the Bible say? He had to to go and he had to repair. Listen to what it said there. It says, repair the altar that was what? Thrown down or torn down. How sad that God's people, the altar was had not been used in years. In Elijah the first thing he had to do before he could even have a time of worship was he had to go and he had to gather the 12 stones. And the Bible's and it's interesting because as I read it I find it it's Elijah alone. He finally later says bring me the water to put onto it. And then he wanted to make it even more challenging for God. Amen. He's like, bring water, bring more water, bring more more water. But what I find here is this, is that the condition of the people, how sad it was. Because the Bible says that Elijah had to repair the broken down, torn down altar. of. You say, well, what is an altar? An altar was a place of worship, but do not miss this. It was a place of worship through surrender and sacrifice. He took an animal and he sacrificed that animal. What took place at the altar was this sacrifice. What will come to the is this is that God's people were no longer sacrificing, they were no longer at a place of surrender to God. In Elijah, the first thing he does is he has to repair the broken down altar of the Lord. The altar that was once used for surrender and sacrifice to the one true living sovereign God. May I say to you, there are many, many broken down altars in our lives today. How sad it is that God's people no longer are in a place of surrender and sacrifice to God. We want a convenient Christianity. We want to serve God at our own venice. Why wow, is quiet in here today? Ooh. There are broken down altars, personal altars, family altars, church altars. That need to be repaired. Look at Romans chapter 12 verse. But Pastor Joe. That's Old Testament. And we're living in the Old Testament. No we are not. We are living in the New Testament. Amen. Amen. Romans 12 1. You ready for this? Hang on just for a second. Alright. <laughs> Paul says. I appeal to you therefore. Brothers. Brethren, family of God, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living, say it with me, sacrifice. sacrifice. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable acceptable to God, which is your what? Spiritual worship. worship. Can I tell you something? Yes, we come to church and we worship. But can I tell you something? Worship is not something you just do on Sunday morning. Worship is not just a song, but can I tell you something? That every single day we worship God through our bodies. Amen? And the Bible talks about this, that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, a sacrifice acceptable to God, pleasing to God. And what we find here is this, is that the condition of the people was this, is that they were no longer at a place of surrender or sacrifice. In essence, we would say this, that there was no, they were no longer worshiping God. One way that we worship God is by being in total surrender to the truth and living God. When we surrender our lives, when you surrender to Him, can I tell you something? That means there will be sacrifice. You say, well, Pastor Joe... When I came to church today, I thought we were going to hear a prosperity gospel. That when you, you know, come to Jesus and everything's going to be great. I wanted to hear about getting a brand new car. (laughs) I wanted to hear about all the new clothes I'm going to get. It is sad, but we live in a culture. And when I say culture, let me say it like this. In a church culture where you rarely hear anything about surrender or sacrifice, but what you hear is basically how God is this genie, and you rub the little lamp, and he's just going to give you whatever you want. And so the condition of people is there was no longer a place for worship. And let me remind you, worship is something we do every moment of our lives. The Bible says whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So please be reminded that worship is not just something we do on Sunday, although we do it, but when you get up in the morning and you surrender to the Lord and you show up to work when you don't want to go to work to provide for your family, believe it or not, that's an act of worship. Now as you live your life, And you strive to live a life that's pleasing to God. And a culture that is unpleasing to God. And when you say no to temptations. And when you say no uh, to to things that other people around you. Especially some of you young people. As they're trying to lead you down a path. And you have the courage to live for God. And the courage to say no. And the courage to do what's right and pleasing and acceptable to God. Can I say something to you? That is a place of surrender. That is sacrifice and at that moment you are worshiping God does this make sense that when you provide for your family when you sacrifice and you fulfill what God has called you to do you are worshiping God yes you can worship God as you sing in your car your worship doesn't sound as good as other people's worship that's for sure <laughs> but it does to him amen but you, you worship God by the decisions and choices and the things that oftentimes no one else sees and no one else knows. And when you choose to do the right thing, when no one else is doing the right thing, you're worshiping God. Somebody say amen. It's an act of worship as we live and surrender to him. And I want you to notice this prayer of Elijah, the prayer life of Elijah, just for a few moments. Notice in James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, it says this. James uses in the New Testament, Elijah example of a prayer warrior. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, notice these words carefully. He says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. There's power in prayer. He says, Elijah, you notice the example he uses. He goes back to the- Elijah. was with a nature like us, meaning he's just as much a human as you and I. That Elijah got hungry like us, and thirsty like us, and tired like us, and irritable like us. That Elijah was just as human as you and I are, but notice what it says. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed, and nothing gained rain, and the earth bore its fruit. I want to take a few notes on that of Elijah because James uses him as an example of a man of prayer that a, he had a powerful prayer life. I call this the science of prayer when you look at the life of Elijah because science is this it's knowledge gained by careful observation. When you observe the prayer life of Elijah there are a number of things that we can learn about prayer. In fact, James even says, hey, look at Elijah. He was just an ordinary guy, but boy, God answered his prayer. So here's a few quick thoughts about prayer. The who is important in prayer. When we go back to the story, let me ask you did, did, did the prophets pray? Yes, they did. Prayers answered? No. Did Elijah pray? Yes. Was Elijah's prayers answered? Yes. So the who is important in prayer. Believe it or not, who we are praying to is important. You say, well, that's a given. Not necessarily. Who we are praying to is important. The prophets of Baal and Asher—they were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. They were praying to the wrong God, and that God had no power. Elijah prayed to the one true living God and his prayers were answered. Let me get another passage quickly. 1 Timothy 2.5. In 1 Timothy 2.5 it says this, For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man. Who is it? The man Christ Jesus. I'm not in here, but you know some people are not getting their prayers answered they're praying to the wrong person. I pray to my grandmother. I pray to my grandfather. I'm not trying to be hurtful. I pray to this saint or that saint or this patron saint. You will not find anywhere in the scripture we are to be praying to any human being. Can I tell you something? There is one mediator between God and man. Who is it? The scripture says who it is. Who is it? Jesus. That's why the Bible says that when you pray, you pray in whose name? In Jesus' name. We pray to the Father and we have the authority through Jesus Christ. Many people are not having their prayers answered because the who is important in prayer. Everybody got that? Who we're praying to and whose authority are we praying through? We pray through the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ because He is our mediator. I could spend a whole day on this, but Hebrews tells us the whole book of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ that he is our great high priest and he is our mediator as we pray he intercedes for us on our behalf amen so the who is important in prayer who you are praying to now this is the part we might not like but who is doing the praying if you notice in James 5 he says he says that the, the effectual fervent prayer of a Righteous man, that it's, it's powerful. A righteous man. Look at Psalm 66, 17 through 19. All right. The psalmist said this David, I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. Listen to these words. If I cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not. ...have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. This is the part where some people may not like what I'm about to say. But if when we pray... Not in every case, but in many cases... ...when we pray, if God is not answering our prayers... ...it is possible been quite that there may be sin in our lives. Yes, I said that word sin. I know some of us have not heard that in 10 or 15 years. Great. Amen. Pastor Joe, you said the S word in church. You said the S word in church. You said sin. Yes. I know it's not a popular word. But even here in his psalm, he said, "If I regard iniquity in my heart, and if I have sin in my heart and in my life, and it's there, and he says, I call God, he says, if I, "If I regard would not have even listened. You say,Well, you say, well then what do I need to do?" First John 9. If we says, "If you have sin, he says, confess your sins, plural. He is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us of our sins." And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, oftentimes what happens is this, is we just come to God in prayer, but we need to do what the Scripture says. Psalm says. to say, search my heart, O God, and try me and test me and search my heart. He says, David said, if there's a way in me, reveal it to me so that I can confess it, so I can make it right with you. So that my prayers will not be hindered. You see, sometimes our prayers are hindered Because the Bible says that the the prayers of a righteous man, doesn't mean perfect or without sin, but it's saying that the the prayers of a righteous man are powerful. Amen? And productive. And so sometimes the reason why our prayers are not being answered is because the who is important in prayer. Who we pray to is important. Who is doing the praying is important. Let me illustrate it like this. The Bible says that God is our father, right? Heavenly father. And he even uses the analogy, he says, what father would not, if the child asks for a piece of bread, would he give him own? He said he wouldn't do that or give him a serpent. A father wouldn't do that. And so Jesus even uses the analogy of a, a father and a son and a, and a parent and a child. Maybe the best way of illustrating is like this, if, if, if uh, having kids, you know, and it's always not fun being the preacher's kids because you get to be illustrations, right? But have kids, and if, let's just say, hypothetically, I mean, this would never happen, it's never happened in your home with your kids, never would happen in my family, no, not with my children. Now, I would say this, when they take after me, no, it wouldn't happen. When they take after my wife, absolutely, it would happen. You say, go clean your room. I don't want to clean my room. I'm not going to clean my room. <laughs> you say, go clean your room, and all of a sudden, all you hear is stuff flying and banging and clanging, and, and then you walk in there, and they just destroy it. Now, this you might be like, this is a little dramatic, but I mean, just follow me here. And so what do you say? You say, well, you're not going anywhere doing anything until you clean that room. And so the room's not clean. And then they get a phone call or a text. Or they get a Snapchat or an Instagram message from one of their friends. And they're they're saying that they're going to be going to the bowling alley tonight. And so they come out of the room and say, Mom, Dad, can I go to the bowling alley? All my friends are going to the bowling alley. Can I go to the bowling alley? Oh, no way. You're not going to the bowling alley. Let me ask you this question. Why are they not going to the bowling alley? So then they go in. They clean their room. It's spotless. Clean their room, top to bottom. They come out and they start cleaning the house. (laughs) And then they even do this. Now this this is where we have the CPR class you can sign up for on the back table. Then they say, Mom or Dad, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have acted like that. Please forgive me. Wham, you hit the floor. (laughs) You know? They give you a hug, and they give you a kiss, and say, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And then a couple hours later, they say, oh, Mom, Dad, do you think I can go to the bowling alley? Here's 40 bucks. Go have fun. (laughs) Maybe not that extreme, but how many of you, am I right? Come on now. Do we think that God is any different? See, God wants to answer our prayers, desires to answer our prayers, but sometimes the first prayer that we have to pray is to say, Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. The what is important in prayer. How did he pray? And I'm almost done. Just give me just a few moments. The Bible says that he prayed fervently. It means this, emotionally intense. In James, it says that he was a righteous man, but it says that he prayed fervently, emotionally intense. Do you picture him that as he prayed the numerous times that we see him pray that he was a man of passion? He was intense. I get accused of this. I'm a coach. Coaches are intense. I'm a a pastor. I'm a preacher. I think you guys have figured it out. I'm pretty intense. I'm pretty passionate. You want to know something? Believe it or not, when I pray, I pray the same way. It's intense. There's passion behind it. In some version of the Bible, it says that he prayed earnestly. It means seriously, heartfelt, solemn. That there was a heartfelt prayer life. Here's the other thing about his prayer life. I'm giving you a few ingredients to prayer. Are you ready? Pray fervently. Pray earnestly. Pray persistently. He had to pray more than once. And then let me just say this, that when he prayed, he prayed intentionally or specifically. When you pray, pray specifically. How will you know if God is answering your prayer or not if you do not pray specifically? There's a handful of prayers that we see recorded by Elijah or times that Elijah prayed. Now follow me real quick. The very first time is this, that God says to him, he says, when I pray, I'm going to stop the heavens. God is going to stop the heavens when I pray. as far as we know, he prayed one time, and the Bible says that no longer was, there was a famine. That there was no longer rain or dew on the earth for three and a half years. Do you remember the story that we read about Elijah as he's living with the widow and the widow's son dies? Remember what Elijah does? The Bible says that he he lays on top of the boy. Takes him up to his bed. He takes his small child and he lays on top of him. And he prays once. And God doesn't answer. He prays what? Twice. God doesn't answer. And the Bible says finally he prayed what? The third time. And God answered his prayer. The boy came alive. carried the boy down and gave him back to his mother. Obviously she glorified God. So he prayed three times. We see that when Elijah prays and asks God to send fire down from heaven. Think about this. How many times did he pray? Once. He prayed one time. And God sent fire down from heaven. I even counted the words. Now each version might be a little different. But in the version that I was using, he prayed a 63 word prayer. That's not a very long prayer. The prayer is a short prayer. And he just prayed one time. And he prayed once. And what did God do? He sent fire down from heaven and consumed the altar. And and the Bible says, licked up the, the water and the dust. And the people said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And God got the glory. And then Elijah says to Ahab and to all the people... You better get head for cover because rain is coming. And then he goes up to Mount Carmel. What does the Bible say he did? I'm not going to get up here and illustrate it. But he literally curls up into a ball and he prays. And he prays and he asks God to send rain. And he says to his servant, go out and look. Look into the sky and tell me what you see. And he comes back and he says, I see nothing. He says, nothing? Not even one little cloud? Nothing. What does Elijah do? The Bible says Elijah, again, prays fervently, prays passionately, curls up in a ball, and he prays again. And he sends his servant out the second time, and he says anything. He says, nothing. The third time, nothing. The fourth time, nothing. The fifth time, nothing. The sixth time, nothing. He says, you don't see anything. And so Elijah, once again, He rolls up into a ball, and he cries out to God. He's probably saying something like this. God, I'm going to look like the biggest fool if you don't send rain. Please, God, send rain. Send the rain. And he prays a seventh time. And he says to his wife, look and tell me what you see. And he says, well, I see just a, a little cloud about the size of a man's hand out there over. It's the Mediterranean Sea, out over the sea there. And he said, All right, head for cover. And the Bible he ties up his garment and he starts run and he outruns the king, which is cool to me. He outruns the king, and the storm hits, and God sends the rain. You see, you must pray persistently. Elijah was a righteous man asking God to do what God had him to do. You want to know something? Sometimes you have to pray once. Have you ever prayed just one time really quick? There's times i prayed and with it was bam. I'm like, wow, that was really fast. You ever experienced that one? Most are like, no, that rarely happens. It's true. Sometimes you might have to pray three times. Sometimes you might have to pray seven times. Or more. But Elijah prayed... And God answered his prayer. I say this Elijah was an ordinary man who God used in an extraordinary way. You know what the secret was? His prayer life. He called out to God. Elijah looked like an average guy, and he was. In fact, remember, he was unique. He was different, but God used him in a powerful way. My challenge to us as a church and as followers of God is that we be men and women and young people of prayer. Amen? Because prayer works. Prayer works. What is it that you need God to do? What is it that you need God to Can I say sometimes you have to pray more than once? Maybe there's something in your life you have to say, Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. Maybe there you ha- there's something you have to confess. But can I say this very quickly as we're, we're done? But here's the thing. is Sometimes there isn't sin in our lives. And we've asked God and we still pray. You know, Elijah didn't have sin in his life and he had to pray seven times. And then God answered. And so there's a time where you have to be persistent. Jesus gave the story of the widow who, who went to judge and she just kept ...wearing the judge out. Remember, Jesus told a par- the story of the man... ...who went and begged his neighbor for bread... And he, door, ...and he pounded on the door... ...and he pounded on the door... ...and he pounded on the door... ...and he wouldn't quit until the man gave it to him. Sometimes we just have to persevere in prayer. And pray. And keep praying. And keep praying. I believe that's what draws us closer to him. Those times we keep praying... We keep praying. And by the way, can I say it like this? That when God answers, you appreciate it a whole lot more. Amen? Sometimes God tells us to wait so that when he answers our prayers, we have a spirit of gratitude. Amen? And we appreciate it a whole lot more. Let's stand together and have a word of prayer this morning.